Fedorian can't use Bitcoin base layer like for their daily transactions to buy fruit and sell sell uh, like low price ticket items. So the the organization um, or the the small community in El Salvador called uh, Bitcoin Beach, they've been using Bitcoin Lightning Network for three months now and proved out that all these locals could use Bitcoin and use Lightning Network and they're just they're paying like fractions of a penny to do transactions with Bitcoin. Hi everyone, just a few words before we get started. First of all, our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN on the internet. And you can currently get 35% of 12 months of ExpressVPN if you follow the link in the description below. Also, you'll find a link there for my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, which is available to order on Amazon and bookshop.org. Finally, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Your help is how we grow. So here's the interview. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Brad Mills, a Bitcoin enthusiast, investor, and a financial analyst or a financial activist, not analyst. Difference there. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> financial activist, that's crazy sounding. What made you say that? There was there's this crazy guy you, you who I saw on the screen a minute ago. He was telling me that's how he would like to be introduced. I don't know where he's gone, but <laughs> Yeah, somebody was just here. Yeah, he was a financial activist. He's gone. The Bitcoin guy here now. Yeah, <laughs> well, they're all crazy, right? Because Bitcoin's just magic internet money. Yes, yes, they're all crazy ma magicians, crazy magic internet money magicians. <laughs> so you can't trust them. <laughs> so why don't you give people a little bit of an idea of of your background and 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 who you are before we get started? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, my name's Brad, and I'm a, a Bitcoin educator, I guess. You could say all kinds of things. I, I don't know. I'm a guy that likes financial freedom, and uh, I got into I was, I'm an entrepreneur, so I've been doing a bunch of different businesses since uh, about 10 years ago. I, I, I started my serial entrepreneur journey. It's a little more than that now, but I when I started to make money, I started to realized that I got to invest this this money and when I started to look into stocks and bonds and gold and real estate just look into money I realized there's a whole sorted underbelly of what money is and it, it shocked me I kind of felt like I was in some kind of cult for like the first half of my life thinking that money was something it's totally not like money is actually not backed by anything and it's controlled by elite bankers and it's actually suppressing a lot of people's rights and freedoms and making the wealth inequality gap bigger and so when when i learned about that it kind of brought me into like politics a little bit so i started paying attention to like ron paul and uh, austrian economists and libertarians and stuff like that which led me to gold which led me to eventually bitcoin in 2011 i found bitcoin and i was like this is exactly like what we need this is the internet native digital gold that has a hard supply cap and can't be inflated by central bankers and plus it's really cool and i can mine it with my computer let's go so so that was that's how i get into bitcoin uh currently i just do a lot of uh, i have a podcast on bitcoin and i try i try to talk to a lot of folks that maybe are skeptical about bitcoin or maybe they 
They're asking basic questions about it. And I also talked to other Bitcoiners and other investors who are looking at Bitcoin too. How's what that? Do you mean? Yeah, that's that's a solid in introduction. Um, so in your mind, what is money? Because you, you kind of talked about it there, like you had this like idea of what it was and now that's just like been shattered. So in your mind, what what is money? Because obviously, because like, I've, I've said this to a few people and some of them give me like really esoteric answers and some of them just like, it's the thing we buy stuff with. So, like, how, yeah, how do I mean, you define like, it? Well, before before I before Bitcoin or before I looked into what money was, I used to think money was just something that you saved in, and it was you know you pay off your debts with it, and you save it, and then you can accomplish your goals and buy things with it, and you can invest it in the in the system, and then generate more of it. Just just a way to achieve what you want your goals in life and then i realized the way that money actually is created is designed to devalue it so saving in it is actually really dumb like saving dollars over your life to achieve your goals like paying your uh paying into your retirement accounts and paying off all your debts and just having money in the bank and trying to earn you know, earn a safe life or a safe living on that. Like that, that's an old antiquated model that, that worked before the seventies when dollars were actually backed by something. So it was like, you know, you, you go up, you grow up with the, the, the trope of like pay off your debts and, you know, save your money and all that. But really that's not, that's not a smart, that's not smart advice. It's, it's like opting into continually losing value so now what I think money is, is just stored value. And I kind of thought that that's what dollars were, but I realized money, money, the way I used to think about money, like, oh, I want a million dollars or oh, I want to be rich or I want to buy a car or whatever it was when I was younger. It's, it's not, it's not really um, smart to use dollars as your measuring stick anymore. So I switched to Bitcoin as my measuring stick because it's a fixed supply and even though it's extremely risky you know it's a it's volatile it's much better to use a Bitcoin as your measuring stick than I think anything else obviously if you're sensitive to volatility you don't want to be like 100% measuring your your value in your stored value in Bitcoin because it can go down 50% in a week but it can also go up 100% in a week and over long periods of time, which is the, the philosophy of like what we're kind of ingrained with when we grow up is pay off your debt, save your money. That is not a good philosophy to use for dollars anymore. It's something like Bitcoin or maybe gold or, or realist farmland, whatever you want to use. Definitely not like AMC stock or Tesla stock or anything like that is, is not a good long term store of value to, to like use as money because they can just print more of it the same as they can with dollars. So something that's scarce, that has a, 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 a fixed supply, or at least a slowly inflating supply is, is, a, is a better form of money. That obviously has all the other properties like the liquidity and fungibility and all those, all those money properties. When you say, just for people who maybe quite don't get what you mean, when you say like the entire system is set up to devalue the, the dollar, 
or any fiat currency to 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 be quite honest like what do you mean by that just for people who, who maybe quite don't quite get what, what you mean sure man well you know i'm on this journey too i'm constantly learning that's why i'm kind of like full-time in bitcoin and just on twitter and clubhouse and watching youtube videos and doing podcasts and stuff to, to learn because i mean nobody i don't think anybody really knows i don't even think the central banks really understand money so it's it's difficult like there's so many different ways to interpret how changes to the interest rates will affect the money going forward or like removing the backing of dollars by anything like removing the basal requirements like the the liquidity reserve requirements like what will that do to money and you know there there's a lot of uh people that are subscribing to the modern monetary theory now which is like the idea that we can just kind of get rid of all the debts debts don't matter anymore and then we'll just measure it based on things like uh, gdp and try to keep it within some kind of band of gdp versus debt versus some kind of new Bretton Woods sort of agreement between everybody that we're, we're not going to pay off the debt, but we're not going to get too crazy with this printing money. We'll kind of do a UBI thing where everybody kind of like gets a baseline to live off of because technology is getting more advanced and it's displacing a lot of jobs. I mean, that stuff does make sense. Like you can definitely see from the perspective of a, of a, a progressive that wants to say take the money printing power away from the central banks to from giving it to wall street and bailing out like the s&p 500 companies that are taking too much risk and give the money printing power to the citizens so that the citizens will then use like the keynesian model to like get stimulated and then print you know they'll print the money into the bank accounts of the people the people will go out and spend and buy products and stuff that does have that's an attractive way to do it it might work out it's an interesting experiment because it will end a lot of it will at least it'll provide like an uplift to the bottom you know the people that are currently falling below the safety net and and they're and they're suffering they'll get some money and then the corporations it's not going to completely get rid of so capitalism like the corporations will benefit because those people that get all this money are going to go spend the money and buy products and services mm. but that might end with hyperinflation so it's like a really dangerous experiment to be playing um, I don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, there's so many different ways you could go down this path. I just thank God we have Bitcoin as an opt out. You know, if you really want to, if you don't want to become an ex one of the uh, uh, experimental factors in this grand scheme of like, what what do we do with <laughs> what 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 button should we press on the economy or on the world money system, and how's it going to affect like all these people? You can kind of like voluntarily opt out of that and be like all right i'm i'm exposed to this experiment this modern monetary experiment or whatever this crazy debt experiment we have right now i'm exposed to it because i live on planet earth but thankfully we have bitcoin now and you can kind of like go over here and and choose to weather the storm in in something that can't be manipulated mm. so i i don't know if that answered the question i kind of went a little bit around it <laughs> that's all right uh, no, I think you got there eventually. Um, like the, it's weird that that for me, I don't even think what we're trying at the minute is modern monetary theory, um, because modern monetary theory was kind of based on the idea that you'd print a whole bunch of money in order to fund like infrastructure projects. Um, there's a great there's a great group called uh, Positive Money who talked about this, and instead of using quantitative easing to 
like pump money in at the top of the economy as um i i I previously thought the figure in the uk at least anyway had been over the past sort of 15 years we printed or we created just digitally 400 billion pounds or which is i don't know about 600 billion dollars turns out it's double that um (laughs) which is just like mind-blowing because the money just goes in at the top and then like no one really mm-hmm. sees the results of it. It, it works out at about at something like £12,000 or about $15,000 per person um, over the past like 10, yeah, 15 years, nuts. which is, yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? And like you think about like what could people have done with that money in their hands um, or what could you, have, what would have happened if you'd said, okay, we're going to take this stupid amount of money and we're going to spend it on like, the entire UK is going to run on maglev trains or like something really like wild and out there, but that would create a lot of jobs. And and so I don't quite think we're in like a, a modern monetary theory kind of system. We're in just a printing money doesn't matter system. And I think it's probably going to, I don't know, I really hope it doesn't, but I get the feeling it might just blow up in, in the faces of the people who are pushing it at the minute, because like you have to, you have to make stuff. Order to be stuff to to quote elon musk's probably least eloquent but most um poignant uh, piece of piece of work um like do you do you do you think that bitcoin is is gonna give us that out or do you think that that because it's intrinsically linked to the dollar itself that you can't act you can really escape it the the kind of economic problems or or yeah boom bust that that comes along with the the current system well that's an interesting question i i would i don't think that bitcoin is intrinsically intrinsically linked to the dollar but the idea of whether or not a sound money base layer for the world would would kind of mute the boom bust cycles it's an interesting debate I, I I lean more towards the idea that if there's a sound monetary base, then there would be less boom bust cycles because you have the free market pricing risk. So like the central bankers right now manipulate the interest rates extremely low so that people take more risk because they, they perceive that there's no risk in taking loans and making investments, especially young people now. Like we're in the culture of stocks can only go up. And millennial investors and and stonks, you know, Gen Zs, go up. <laughs> yeah, the stonks only go up, and that's because that's that's because of the of the central banks manipulating the markets and printing trillions and trillions of dollars, and then keeping the interest rates really low, which encourages and then doing some airdrops. Like we do get some airdrops into our bank accounts from the government. And then people take that and they're like, well, the stocks go up for the rich people, so let's also get some of those gains. And the, the, the central banks have created this atmosphere of extremely degenerate behavior from the top down. And I think it's the first time in history that I can remember that like everybody's winning <laughs> and it's all fake. It's all fake value. <laughs> and it's like everybody knows it's fake value, but they know that they can't stop because if they stop the party, everything's going to blow up because we're so over leveraged and we're so far from the fundamental value. Like S&P 500 companies are trading at like 500 XPE ratios or whatever it is. 
that makes no fundamental sense. The, you know, the, uh, the funny stories from like Wall Street bets all from the last 18 months where, you know, Warren Buffett's like selling all of his airline stocks and like Robinhood traders are buying them all from him, pumping the markets <laughs> up. Hertz goes bankrupt and like Wall Street bets buys up Hertz. And then, you know, like that's, that's not, that's, you don't see that kind of stuff in a rational market. So I don't think that like Bitcoin is gaining from this really, really well because Bitcoin is designed to be this exit ramp from this insane system where it's all manipulated. So Bitcoin kinds of is kind of linked to the dollar in that as long as the dollar is continually devalued and as long as they're printing more dollars and it's obvious that the value of the dollar is going down over time, then people will want to trade their dollars for more valuable monies. That's the uh, Gresham's law in an economy. It's uh, bad money drives out good money. So Bitcoin in this situation would be the good money uh, that doesn't go down in value over long periods of time where the dollar is now a bad money that everybody's kind of aware that this thing's going to drop your purchasing power over time. So people would rather spend their dollars and save in the better money, which is now taking a lot of that, um, that Gresham's law network effect or whatever is, is Bitcoin and other things, because there's a, there's an education part here too. Like people, people get there's something wrong with the dollar. So they're, they're trying to like put their, their dollars into other things. A lot of people that are uneducated do like buy AMC stock or buy a GameStop or, or something like that. They just don't fundamentally understand the value there. They're just like it's it's the meme and it's the energy and it's working. So they're just like trying to make some more of that money. But that that impulse to go into something else because of this really easy money gains, you know, easy gains that the Fed and the central banks around the world have created is it's like I, th I believe the people that do the work and they understand scarcity and value, they go into things like farmland, gold, Bitcoin. Um, I don't know what else, uh, but like people that people that are like just like younger, maybe they're not versed on monetary history. Maybe they don't understand quite the value of what they're buying. They'll be buying things like Pokemon cards, sneakers. AMC stock, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same energy and, and the people that are getting the bailouts from the banks to getting the quantitative easing, they're doing the same thing at the high level. Like they're getting money printed directly to them and they're doing things like, um, public, like taking companies public, like they're investing in shitty tech companies and trying to take them public and dump it on retail and they're, and they're buying shit mm. and like pumping they're doing the same thing that the Wall Street bet people are doing in the billions of dollars instead of the thousands of dollars or the tens of thousands of dollars. So in that way, like everything is intrinsically linked to the dollar. But I think the dollar's losing its kind of like it, not losing its uh, reserve status, but it's it's definitely being challenged by other things. And it's its reserve status is is weakening. I don't think Bitcoin's going to like overthrow the dollar or anything like that anytime soon but i do think that bitcoin is gaining from the dollar's continual devaluation the same the same as gold the same as real estate um so there's like one part of it is fundamental value and i think things like i said 
gold, Bitcoin, real estate, that fundamental value is there. And then there's like meme value or whatever, like uh, fiat value, which is driven by just FOMO and network effects that don't have any fundamental um, long-term value, which is like collectibles and, and meme stocks and stuff like that. And crypto too, like Dogecoin and Shiba coin and all these DeFi coins and all these different random coins. It's the same as the, it's the same energy as the stocks. It's just like, oh, well, I guess prices are going to go up and stuff. So <laughs> I'm just going to put it, put my, put my dollars in anything. Doge to a hundred. That's, that's the D that's the yeah, yeah. No, um, I, I, <laughs> I mean, um, not gonna lie, I'm in for a little bit of the ride, uh, because why the fuck not? <laughs> but uh, you're you, there's a couple of things there. It's the energy, right? Like, it it can only go up, right? So if you're not really doing the work on like trying to find what's the real truth here, what's the real like fundamental value and truth that will hold its value when this party ends you will probably go into all kinds of different random stuff because it's 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 going up mm, yeah I'm, i plan to sell my uh my all of my possessions as nfts um, <laughs> 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 oh that's that's how logan paul like made them famous basically just he, what was it? he auctioned oh off like God. he auctioned off the unboxing of pokemon cards as nfts oh my god and that's that like peak peak bubble yeah but that was no that's the thing that like started the nft bubble seemingly like it was him bringing attention to it by doing this really stupid thing um like i i definitely agree with what you're saying though about the the idea like the the similarities between like wall street bets and 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 uh and wall street because they are like what wall street's be wall street bets are doing is literally like they, they've seen that wall street treats the financial market like a casino and they've gone well seems pretty fun like let's go for this like like you know give me five grand on black like that's that they're they're doing the same like the, yeah. it's the same um mindset it's just except it's worse <laughs> wall street's worse because the, the wall street's worse because they're they're cheating like they're they're not using capitalism they have no risk mm. like the wall street bets people are actually taking risk they can lose on their positions Wall Street gets bailed out every time they lose on a position. They get bailed out, and they either get they either get like a systemic bailout, or they have access to the repo markets where they're getting hundreds of billions of dollars is available just to take no strings attached every day, or they get like it, they get like the the executives get bailed out, and then they get hired in the government or something like that. Like there is no risk on Wall Street. There is risk for, I mean, obviously there's risk. I'm 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 trying not to be too like hyperbolic about this there's there's risk that the wealthy people that are investing in as lps in these funds like there was a risk that melvin capital was going to go bankrupt because of wall street i'm bets. pretty sure that that risk is still there um I it know, is yeah not, as long I, as the stock is still up <laughs> like i know i know you're clearly very skeptical about the meme stocks and i am too i find gamestop to be a very different thing to the rest of the meme stocks because I actually believe that company could be fucking huge. Whereas, oh, it could, yeah. Whereas AMC, it could be like the Netflix of games. Yeah, and that's where I honestly think it's probably going. They've got like all star board, no debt. Like, I... you know what though? They 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 did something the other day that made me really skeptical of of 
the 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 leadership there like they announced that they're going to start doing this nft game thing and that to me was very reminiscent of the 2017 ico bubble when all these companies were just jumping on blockchain and just adding blockchain to their name for the for the pump value <laughs> and it was long island long island ice tea changed their name to long island blockchain and they pumped like 200 or 300 or something like what? that and like companies start doing icos and blockchain research groups and all this shit. At, like the future is not the future of gaming is not like anything i don't think related to nfts in the way that gamestop is doing it like they actually the i think nfts are interesting as like a a collectible digital art sort of thing long term for sure there's going to be value there but it's not going to be like the prices that we see right now the prices right now is driven by bubble behavior the same like you just said like logan paul coming in and unboxing pokemon cards and selling them for thousands of dollars this um crypto punks being worth hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, there's all kinds of nonsense the whole thing is just a digital beanie baby bubble and it felt like gamestop was just like whoa me too look i got nfts too look at this a future of gaming is nfts and they just threw a freaking nft cartridge in a game boy looking thing and to me that was like all right I, this is the first time I'm considering selling my GameStop because I don't care about GameStop. Like I like the mission. I support the mission of Wall Street Bets. I want to see the naked shorting exposed. I want to see Melvin Capital go under. I want to see Citadel get exposed. So I'm I'm just holding my GameStop. I bought GameStop in solidarity. I think it's a shitty investment, but I just bought it in solidarity with the GameStop people because I'm like, let's take the emperor down. I like it. I'm here for it. But now they're freaking doing NFTs. I'm like, I'm gonna sell my NF I'm gonna sell my GameStop if they keep doing this shit. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice idea, and it's one that I think United everyone is just like, hang on, we you're telling me all I have to do is buy this one thing, and we might bring down a hedge fund. Um, <laughs> and like it's it's to me it's it's fascinating watching it happen because like either like it's gonna go astronomical and and the people on reddit are have spotted like the greatest financial opportunity ever or um it's just crazy groupthink and it either one is just stunningly fascinating um to me and hence why i'm gonna i've written well i'm writing a book about it which actually will are you really yeah, i mean like the crowdfund um oh, cool. uh, will be out uh, by the time this interview goes live, actually, so I'll put the link in the description because um, nice. I'm writing about about the community and about like how it kind of evolved and the the sort of uh, whether all of the allegations that all the subreddits were being manipulated was paranoia, was it like actually happening, um, how the community responded to this state. Like I I find that entire sort of like digital battle absolutely fascinating. And to watch this like hive mind thing kind of slowly figure out that the entire financial system seemingly is just built on corruption and fraud on a level that I don't yeah. think any of us were prepared for when we started looking at this in January. <laughs> um, it's 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 been a it's been a journey. So uh, yeah, people check that out actually. While uh, if you're if you're interested, um, so do you think we're gonna tr that, that the establishment are gonna attempt to regulate? cryptocurrency do you think that governments are going to try uh, because they keep talking about it but i don't honestly think that they fundamentally understand the technology enough to do anything about it like i think it takes like a fundamental understanding of how yeah, it works okay. so, to, to, yeah so the 
there's a there's a big difference between Bitcoin and and crypto, and Bitcoin. You got to understand the reason why Bitcoin was started to really understand the the motivation of folks like me, like Bitcoiners that are Bitcoin maximalists that are like pretty much call everything else like terrible, like a scheme or or Ponzi's or like there's all kinds of legitimate Ponzi schemes in crypto right now. The definition of a Ponzi scheme is is pretty clear. It's like an investment scheme that promises you interest and it doesn't actually have any fundamental activity to, to pay that interest. Um, in some of them, you get referral commissions and the commissions from the new investors pay off the, the old investors. But that like fundamentally, a lot of crypto is now interest bearing Ponzi schemes, but they're just decentralized, you know, so instead of calling them Ponzi schemes, people call them uh, the future of finance. <laughs> Sounds better than Ponzi scheme. <clears throat> but they're programmatic schemes, investment schemes, and all they do is they give you interest. That's all they do. They give you interest. Like they, you, you put up your money, <laughs> you put up your money and you get money back. That's not real. That's fake. That's That's almost as fake as fiat money printing fiat money and so fundamentally you got to separate bitcoin from crypto and understand that the whole premise of why satoshi created bitcoin was to have a system of money and a system of value that was outside of the control of governments and that was government resistant it was like um the first time that we were able to have trust in who owned you know who's sending what to who and as long as the network is run by 51% of honest actors, then you can trust it. So it's the most decentralized network on the planet, uh, cryptocurrency network. I'm sure there may be other networks that are more decentralized than Bitcoin, like, like maybe QAnon or something. I don't know. But or maybe even Wall Street Bets leadership. Who knows? There's, there, there's decentralization everywhere. In fact, even Warren Buffett talks about the value of decentralization in his recent uh, shareholder meeting with, with Berkshire Hathaway. They were touting their their decentralized nature and how they love decentralization. And that's how they're able to succeed so long and run all these companies and keep profitable because they're decentralized. So but yet they call Bitcoin rat poison and all this. They just don't understand it. So there's a big Is that misunderstanding or misunderstanding, though misunderstanding i think it's misunderstanding honestly i i think that the and it's same as the wall street bets crowd like a lot of them misunderstand bitcoin versus crypto too it's really hard and it sucks because i really love the mission of the gamestop crusade it's like let's expose it started off like stonks can only go up let's make some money let's take some bets on this thing and it became occupy wall street 2.0 and I wanted to see that energy shift into people getting properly educated about why it's corrupt and why you need to opt out of the system. Sure, fight the battle, try to take down Melvin Capital and Citadel, but continue your learning journey on like wh what what is the alternative to this corrupt system? It's Bitcoin. It's not crypto. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people like celebrities and YouTubers, Elon Musk, all kinds of celebrities and, and influencers are shilling crypto stuff which is just causing these these folks that were on the precipice of wall street bets seeing the corruption 
seeing how the media started to demonize them as Russian shills and all this ridiculous stuff. Like this young generation is seeing firsthand how broken everything is. The money system, the media system. There's an epistemic crisis in in the news and and in the media. And unfortunately, there isn't crypto too, because people don't really understand. I, I, I think like people don't understand the value of Bitcoin, why it was created. And that's what I always like to get back to. It's it's it was created as a protest against central banks, printing money, enriching bankers, bailing out Wall Street and footing the, the bill to the taxpayer. And Bitcoin fundamentally is is government resistant. There was all kinds of digital currencies before Bitcoin that that were centralized because they always have central points of failure. There's a team that you can identify that created it. There's a central list somewhere. There's a central oracle somewhere. And the government, if they decide to go after this, can just shut that person down. They may, like some of them, um, the network may keep going, but they can coerce the people that run the nodes to censor transactions or fork out certain smart contracts if you're on ethereum or whatever if there's centralization so with bitcoin it does it does like um i think it's i think it's like more computing net power than any other network on the planet so that is so decentralized that a government right now would have a hard time attacking it because there's no centralized authority there like we fought a whole civil war in 2017 about changing bitcoin and the bitcoiners won like there was significant money on the side of changing bitcoin and from businesses like coinbase and the biggest miners on the planet like there was a lot of money a lot of uh a lot of egotistical like ceo types of people were like this is going to fix Bitcoin. We need this to happen so that we can go forward and Bitcoin can survive, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was good intentions, I think. Like, they wanted to actually, like, I think they wanted to do it for the good of Bitcoin. But what were they trying to do? Just, just for this is the, you're talking about the fork, right? In 2017. But yeah. What exactly was going on in that debate? So there's a concept for how to upgrade a blockchain network or a DLT, a distributed ledger technology or whatever. It, you can either soft fork the change in or you can hard fork the change in. And a hard fork is not backwards compatible. A soft fork is backwards compatible. And the problem with a hard fork is that it's actually creating a separate, like a, it's like a new endpoint. It's like a new network. And you ha everybody has to agree to go to the new network. But the other one still exists. So in a soft fork, that doesn't happen. There's not this point where there's now two of the same thing, and you just have to hope everybody goes to the new one. In with with all kinds of other cryptocurrencies, they hard fork changes in, and they just are so centralized in most cases that the people that run all the nodes and that actually are the source of like how much money you have in your wallet, they all choose to put you on the new one. So that's what they were trying to do in 2017. We were trying to like decide how to scale Bitcoin going forward because Bitcoin has to scale to billions of people to be used as a savings vehicle for people everywhere and to be used as money, peer-to-peer -peer transactions, right? That's what it was all about at the beginning. It was digital gold and it was peer-to-peer -peer cash. As the fees start to go up with Bitcoin, as more and more people start to buy Bitcoin and use Bitcoin, the fees go up because there's there's a fee market in there. 
that Satoshi designed as a kind of genius game theory thing to attract more miners to come in. And eventually, there's a, there's a cap of 21 million Bitcoin. And that's subsidized for like 100 years. There's Bitcoin given out to miners every 10 minutes to run the network. So eventually that halves every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that the miners share every 10 minutes, it, it halves every, every four years. It started off 50 Bitcoin per 10 minutes, then went to 25, you know, and it keeps halving. So we're at, I think, 6.25 right now every 10 minutes. And eventually there needs to be an equilibrium where the miners, because that's going to go down, it's going to keep going down. So the fees have to rise to make up for the drop in the, in the, the subsidy, the fee, the block reward subsidy. So it's a really, it's a really delicate um, equation there because it has to be decentralized. And the change that was proposed by the miners and the businesses, the CEOs, and folks like and some early Bitcoiners that were like super egotistical about it, they wanted to just raise the block size by double. They wanted to change Bitcoin so that you could fit twice as many transactions in a block. They felt that this would allow Bitcoin to go for another like four years without hitting high fees. And they felt that if Bitcoin continued to hit higher and higher fees, it would kill Bitcoin's adoption or it would make it really hard for them to keep running their businesses because their customers would be like, why is it 10 bucks to send a Bitcoin transaction? I'm going to use something else like like um, Dogecoin. Doge. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's they tried to f increase the Bitcoin block size. Mm -hmm. so that's the simplistic version of it. But I mean, I just spoke for 10 minutes about it, so I don't know how <laughs> that's not really simplistic, but I'm trying to like get you the the the, the fundamental concepts of why there was a war and the war was because if you change the block size like that it now makes it more onerous to run a node you now need a bigger hard drive and you need more um trans transaction bandwidth so the whole goal for bitcoiners is to make it so that anybody anywhere in the world with consumer grade hardware can run a Bitcoin node and actually contribute to the decentralization of the network and actually validate their own transactions and rely on themselves and be sovereign if they choose to. It's not that everybody has to run a node, but in order for Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network to stay government resistant, there has to be the threat that the government can't stop Bitcoin by shutting down the node operators. And the more we give there by allowing the block size to increase, because they didn't want to just stop at two megabytes, they wanted to go eventually to gigabyte blocks. And gigabyte blocks means that all the miners and all the node runners are concentrated into like corporates entities. You need data centers just like Facebook or Google in order to run a Bitcoin node. Now, a lot of critics of Bitcoin that don't understand Bitcoin will say, oh, but it's look, it's uh, the miners are all in China. It's centralized by China. China controls Bitcoin anyways. Look at all these giant <laughs> mining <anymore>. rigs. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, they, they look at this, the giant mining farms and they say, like, it's obvious that Bitcoin's controlled by these miners. But that was the whole point of the 2017 block war. The miners wanted to change Bitcoin. They failed because the, the node runners, the small people, the economic node runners, the users, we fought back and said, if you change Bitcoin, that's not Bitcoin. We enforce the rules. You guys are just well-paid bodyguards. So we're not going to go forward with this. So that their change would have required a hard fork. And then there would have been two Bitcoins. There would have been Bitcoin two megabyte and Bitcoin one megabyte, the original Bitcoin. Mm. So 
all of us said we're going to stay with the original Bitcoin and we're just going to sell all the new Bitcoins. So it's like it would have been chaos. So we went forward with with this understanding that you can't change Bitcoin. There's nobody, no, no matter if you're the guy that originally built Bitcoin or girl or group or whatever, if you're Satoshi, if Satoshi comes back, Satoshi's not going to change Bitcoin. The biggest Bitcoin business is you can't change Bitcoin. And that's fundamentally different than the, the money system that we have and Wall Street and everything else, where look what happened with, with, with GameStop. I mean, all these people got together. They did something amazing. They exposed naked shorting that was happening. People were breaking the, the, the market makers were breaking the law. And they were about to like do it in a way that they won. But the rules were changed on them at the very last second and people were forced to close their positions and Robinhood went down. You can only sell and like, you know, Citadel bailed out Melvin Capital and probably the Federal Reserve is bailing out Citadel. Like who knows what's happening? It's just a black box. We don't under, we don't know what's going on. So this for the first time, I felt like it was like, wow, that like the, the little people got together and they won. And then they had their victory taken away from them and they were called Russian shills and financial terrorists. And like mm. for a young person to see that happen to them, I feel like it's actually really net positive for the future of this generation that were involved in GameStop because they see at such a young age what bullshit the system really is. And then I want them to come to see Bitcoin and see like, look, we had this fight. We're always fighting it. This is the real mission. The, 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 the first boss was, was Citadel. The main boss is like the central banks that are, that are debt enslaving everybody on the planet. Like central banks are naked shorting you. They're naked shorting everybody in the world. And you don't, that's not, that's not like crypto. That's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the solution. It's not crypto as a solution. Crypto is like, you know, uh, buying Hertz when it was bankrupt or buying AMC stock because it's funny. And there's all maybe some naked shorting there too, but it's like, it's not the mission. You know, the mission is Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the way to show these central bankers who are, who are really the final boss that we opt out of your corrupt system and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop trading Bitcoin. So this is a long way to answer your question of can the regulators stop it? They can stop <laughs> crypto. They can stop DeFi. They can stop Ethereum if they really tried hard. They can't stop Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the most decentralized. Okay. Um, just to clarify then what happened with the fees, because uh, as far as I'm aware, like it's n the Bitcoin fees are still like fairly high. Uh, would that be like uh, in terms of like it's not, it's not the most practical of yeah. the other of cryptocurrencies to use as a day-to-day -day, like currency for transactions. It's a, it's more of a store of value at this point. Would that be a fair assessment? Well, I I wouldn't say so because Bitcoin is all of it. Bitcoin is a store of value. It is a method of exchange. It is a, a medium of exchange. It's it's more important right now, I think, to make Bitcoin win based on the store of value narrative uh, on the idea that you can now have a savings technology that you can save in that's not going to be debased but you can also like this is a good point i didn't get there but the reason why we didn't want to upgrade um bitcoin via the the centralized path of just raising the block size was because there was a lot there's hundreds of bitcoin developers that were working on scaling bitcoin in a more decentralized and more scalable way and 
the most important thing about Bitcoin, like I've been preaching here, is like to keep it decentralized and to keep it as small as like as as likely as possible to retain government resistance. And the larger it gets, the more easy it is for governments to co-opt and it restricts you from running a node because not everybody can afford like consume like professional grade hardware to run nodes. So it's going to end up centralizing the, the node runners. So the Bitcoin mission of keeping the base layer of savings technology with a most long term, credibly scarce monetary policy of 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 no inflation is best to have it as a smaller block size. And then you do things like uh, compression um, innovation. So you innovate on on the side of making your transactions smaller so that exchanges that are using up block space are doing things like batching transactions and using the latest developments like uh, SegWit was was the big a segregated witness was the big upgrade in 2017 that we got through. And now there's this one called Taproot. So there, there's all kinds of uh, innovations in, in like on the edges of compression technology. And that's where Bitcoin wanted to scale. And, and so you take that and then you add second layers and side chains to Bitcoin. And then you can do all these experiments on the side chains and the second layers. So Lightning Network was the big scaling technology for Bitcoin. And the Lightning Network was something that it, it doesn't add a shitcoin. It's like a second layer scaling technology for Bitcoin that uses Bitcoin as the as the money. So it's a decentralized alternative to using Bitcoin to send to your friends as money than using the base layer Bitcoin. Because, yes, the fees are higher than what like an average Salvadorian or something like that would want to use by sending base layer Bitcoin back and forth. You don't want to pay like five dollars transaction if you want to get it right away. Yeah. I mean, you can pay right like now, I just I took a wee look at what the what the price was. So it, what is it? It's six dollars, six dollars a transaction on average. Um, yeah. And, and you can actually like you can make that lower by by choosing a slower fee. Like if you don't need the transaction to get there till tomorrow or something, if you're just sending some. Some money that you owe to a friend or something you can get a dollar or two dollars or whatever but still i mean we know that in the future this is going to be like a hundred bucks to, to send a bitcoin transaction on the base layer if bitcoin is a million dollars per bitcoin in eight ten years or something like that i mean it's it might be five hundred dollars to send a transaction on, on the bitcoin base layer mm -hmm. we don't know 100 percent how that's going to shake out but we do know that the fees are going to keep going up so that's why we moved to second layers and side chains that are still using Bitcoin, but just not on the settlement, the main settlement layer of, of the Bitcoin blockchain. Because then as more and more people use it and it becomes more expensive to run a node, it centralizes Bitcoin. So the Lightning Network is at a point now where there's tons of wallets where you can actually use Bitcoin and pay fractions of a penny. It's cheaper than Dogecoin or any other cryptocurrency to use Bitcoin now. So okay. this, four years on, how does this, how does this lightning network work? Could you, can you give like a, a, a sort of big explanation or like a basic explanation of how that works? Do you know, do you understand it's Yeah. I mean, brief, you know, I can be kind of like high level on it cause I'm not a developer, so I don't completely understand everything, but actually it was like Satoshi and the early folks that were proposed this, this idea to be able to, because they saw back in the day that Bitcoin was was going to go, the fees were going to go up 
and that the users were going to get more tyrannical over like not increasing the block size because it would increase the attack vector by governments and censors that would want to censor transactions and, and regulate Bitcoin. If they could just knock on the door of the node runners and say, you got to stop this transaction, then that would be done because we saw with eGold and Liberty Dollars and uh, DigiCash and all these different electronic cash systems before Bitcoin, that centralization is a huge problem. Same as Napster versus BitTorrent. Napster got shut down because it was centralized. BitTorrent still goes. But it's illegal to download pirated movies and to seed pirated uh, software. But like it still happens now because it's so decentralized, they can't stop. But it's too, it's too expensive to enforce those rules. So it just still happens. And then what did they have to do there? They had to just actually build Netflix and stuff that was competitive to this, make it so cheap and easy to stream movies that you would pay for it. So they actually did the free market thing there, which compete. And they actually won. BitTorrent usage went way down because they built a better product than BitTorrent. But now it's like you take that analogy with cryptocurrency. What are they trying to do? They're trying to compete with Bitcoin by creating digital cash, like digital mm -hmm. fiat money. And that's going to be a nightmare because it has like built in. You can't spend this at the uh, alcohol. Like I saw and I think it was in um, Australia it was like people on welfare. It's like blacklist them from spending it on like alcohol or something like that. And sure, no while that might. Way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's like it's like they, they can choose where you can spend it. And the same in China with their digital currency. It's based on your social credit score. It restricts access to things like you can't buy tickets to leave the city. Like you can't buy plane tickets. It's very Orwellian. And it's like they can turn off your access to money just like they can turn off access to parlor. Like that was a big example of not only did Trump get censored and wherever you stand on that, like it still just shows that censorship is real. And then everybody migrated to Parler because it's their own network. But then they went above that and they went to Amazon and they just shut off access to their traffic source. Yeah, so that was, that was scary, man. Like that, that, that was really scary for me because I, like, I'm not a big Trump man. Like uh, he was hilarious as a joke, but aside from that, yeah. just, it's a symbol of the other degradation of of the system. But like uh, the, that yeah. moment when, first of all, when he got simultaneously banned. Um, I mean, Alex Jones did it first, so he's kind of copying him. But, right. uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, when they when they struck out Parler, that was that was that was terrifying. But yeah, sorry, uh, keep, keep well, going. It just shows you the it just shows you the risks of centralization and relying on anybody. You might think that because Parler allows free speech, that you can you're safe and you can go on there and use that for free speech, but then. It's centralized in that the traffic source shut them off, like the app store shut them off. So that proves that you can't really you, you need to rely on decentralization like at the core. And Bitcoin is money for everybody. It's money for your enemies, just like cash is. Cash is used by grandmothers and drug dealers and whatever, you know, like it's it's there's 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 no base rule of like oh well you you're this person and you did this so you can't use cash like cash is just a tool <laughs> just like a hammer and that's what bitcoin is so um the lightning network is the way that we scale bitcoin for payments so it, it's just a it's like a it's 
raising the block size just linearly scales. It's like every time you can raise the block size, it's like this, basically. Like you double it and it just keeps going up because it fits more transactions every block. But scaling via second layers is more like a like a parabolic scaling because the more the more channels and the more nodes that come onto the lightning network and add in um like they add to the to the uh capacity of the whole entire network, it will scale it more in a logarithmic way rather than just a linear way. And so basically, like I was saying, the the Satoshi and Hal Finney and these early folks were thinking that, okay, because we have to keep this block size small and because the fees are eventually going to rise because the fees need to replace the block subsidy over the next 50 years, there's going to be a need for another layer. And they would envision Bitcoin banks, um, side chains, second layers. And you know the the concept they had was to to use uh um it was a it was an opcode in bitcoin in the early days that they thought they could use to to add like a, a smart contract to lock a bitcoin in a decentralized trustless way to be on this other network kind of like tcip there's like the base layer and then there's html and there's like mime and there's different there's different protocols the lightning network is just another protocol on top of Bitcoin, it's actually more private than the base layer because you don't you, you don't know what the transaction details are in the middle. So like the all blockchains, most blockchains, Bitcoin is is like a, a, a it, it's peer to peer cash. Right. But it's actually you send your transaction out and it's broadcast to everybody. So it's like peer to everyone, really. Like when you send a transaction, if you're not using a modern wallet or whatever that has change addresses, which protects your privacy. If you send your Bitcoin to somebody and then you never change your address, they can see your Bitcoin. They can see how much you have. So there's all kinds in over the last 10 years, privacy enhancements that have happened on the base layer of Bitcoin. But then on the second layer, it's even more private because you can't see the transactions details unless you're the person that receives the transaction. All the people in the middle that are like routing the transaction through don't see the details. So it's like, um, I don't really know how to describe it in an easy way. I don't know. It's, it's just like a, a, you, you lock Bitcoin in a smart contract on the base layer mm-hmm. to the second layer. And then it's like an abacus. You're just like moving Bitcoin back and forth between all these channels. And there's tons of channels and there's like 10,000 nodes right now on, on the lightning network that are routing payments back and forth and you can just route payments all over the place as long as there's a large healthy network of channels and that's where we're at right now it's like the beginning days of the lightning network it's 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 basically out of alpha now it's ready for everybody to jump on board and start using it and I mean, it's you can either choose to use a custodial wallet or or a non-custodial wallet and a lot of people that care about the the uh, decentralization want to use non-custodial wallets. So we we got to do more work on on that. There is a couple of wallets that you can use if you really care about decentralization for your coffee payments. But the 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 trade-off is that your your savings is the most secure, trustless, decentralized on the Bitcoin blockchain on the base layer. You save that, you put it in a wallet, you, you secure your seed phrase, you do multi-sig, whatever it is. If you've got a lot of money, you want to like 
geographically distribute the keys, you know, that's untouchable. That's like, mm -hmm. there's no chance of any censorship happening. There's no chance of any government seizure. It's the most trust, like trustless way to store your value. Obviously mm -hmm. you have the exchange risk and, and you're taking risk by just being in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but you know, you, you, you can trust that. Now on the lightning network or side chain, there's security trade-offs. The same with Dogecoin or Ethereum or any other altcoin. None of those are as secure as Bitcoin. None of them is, are as trustless as Bitcoin. So, I mean, you can choose to either use Dogecoin or you can choose to use the liquid network on Bitcoin or you can choose to use an even better version of Dogecoin, <laughs> the Lightning Network. So so then you can have even cheaper transactions and even faster transactions. And it's it's got all the properties of Bitcoin. You've sold me on the Lightning Network. Yeah, you've really sold me on that. Like, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to have to go and do a little more more digging myself but like that that sounds really really um really interesting because obviously like that is the big criticism that i i, I hear sort of batted around by who are probably misinformed just like pure noobs on this but um it's that like the bitcoin is the transaction fees are too high and it's not practical to use and that's why that's why dogecoin is going to the moon because um, it's got that 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 like quick cheap usability and if bitcoin can do that then i think it yeah it really does set itself apart it kind of says it, it's it's solving all its own problems which is amazing um and and very cool because cash doesn't do that like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh i've seen sorry were you gonna say something that's why a lot of Bitcoiners get so fed up with altcoin people and call them scammers and stuff like that, because the altcoin people really need Bitcoin to just stay digital gold. They don't want Bitcoin to scale, because if, if Bitcoin scaled, then there would be no point in having their altcoins. So the altcoin people will never pay attention to Lightning Network or the second layers on Bitcoin or the side chains because they don't want to see that work. They like Bitcoin as that base layer store of value, like digital gold thing. That's They all want Bitcoin to just stay in that lane. But unfortunately, the thousands of Bitcoin developers that are working on the second layers and side chains and stuff like that are not happy to just have Bitcoin stay as store of value. I mean, we got into this for peer-to-peer -peer, peer -peer digital cash, and we fought a civil war in 2017 to prove that you could have peer-to-peer -peer digital cash and decentralization as a core tenant. And it took four years, but now we're at the point where Lightning Network was just a, like, Bitcoin was just adopted by a country and they're using the Lightning Network as their, as their, really? as their technical. Yeah, yeah, that was, that's the whole thing about it. it was like, because the Salvadorian can't use Bitcoin base layer like for their daily transactions to buy fruit and sell, sell uh, like low price ticket items. So the, the organization um, or the, the small community in El Salvador called uh, Bitcoin Beach, they've been using Bitcoin Lightning Network for three months now and proved out that all these locals could use Bitcoin and use Lightning Network. And they're just they're paying like fractions of a penny to do transactions with Bitcoin. And then once you get enough Bitcoin, yeah, like you get like, you know, you use Bitcoin, you sell your stuff, you, 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 you do your trades, whatever it is, and you eventually get maybe like $500 worth of Bitcoin on Lightning Network, then you just withdraw it to the base layer. And then you pay the $4 fee or whatever it is to close the channel. 
or you know if it's a fifty dollar fee to close the channel say the bitcoin price doubles from here or something like that and now it's 50 bucks to use bitcoin well you just maybe wait till you got a thousand dollars of bitcoin on lightning network before you withdraw it we got to make that economical choice like when is at what point is it worth it for you to withdraw and pay the fee just the same as you would do in a normal banking situation where like maybe you want to open up an uh, a mutual fund or switch it over to your to your uh your trading account or something and pay your $20, $30 fee to do that or wire money somewhere. Like you got to pay a fee to do that. So it, yeah, lightning network works and it's been proven out to work. And that's how they were able to write that law in El Salvador because the average person in El Salvador can't afford base layer Bitcoin fees, but we've got lightning network. So they're using lightning network wallets and they're using the lightning network and the company that's helping out with that is strike. And so they're going to be opening up in 200 countries this year. They're they're like a, an alternative to Venmo or um, Cash App or, or like one of those challenger banks. And Cash App is also going to be using Lightning Network. Like they're invested in the Lightning Network. They invested in Lightning Labs, the company that, yeah, the, that's one of the companies that are building on top of the Lightning Network. And Cash App is also owned by Jack Dorsey, you know, the Square guy, the Twitter guy. And Square started a whole division called Square Crypto, and they're writing Lightning Network software. They've got like 50 employees right now. They donated 500 Bitcoin to uh, an African group that's doing training for blockchain developers to work on Bitcoin Lightning Network in Africa. No Man, they're, they're yeah, they, they just released a whole design guide for the Lightning Network user experience. They're hiring like crazy. The Lightning Network is the future, man. I'm telling you, it's it's exciting. It's the early days. It feels like the early days of Bitcoin again. And if you do want to mess around with it, you can join. We've got a Telegram group going um, where people are opening up channels and running nodes and just kind of like connecting to the people in El Salvador, connecting to people in Africa and like connecting to each other. Just just kind of like building the the graph of the of the layer right now. And you can you can join the channel by going to kycjelly.com. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I will put the link there in the description for anyone that wants to check that out. Um, you yeah, wanna... if you want to mess around with it, yeah. if you want to run a node. Yeah, um, like w what exactly has been passed in El Salvador? Because uh, like for anyone that hasn't heard specifically what it is, they've just heard, you know, like bit like El Salvador is now using Bitcoin. Like what on earth does that mean? Like what if they actually like change? Yeah. Right? Because, you know, you can do that in America and there's some shops that take Bitcoin. I remember about three or four years ago i was walking down a street in belfast and there was like a cafe accepting bitcoin and i fucking hope for their sake they kept it um, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah what exactly have they passed as a law there in um in el salvador yeah so the, so they're the first country to make bitcoin officially legal tender so the el salvador as of i think it was 2000 2001 something like that had a currency failure and they actually adopted the US dollar as their official currency. Mm -hmm. And so for the last 20 years, they've had the US dollar as their official currency. So they're like perfect for this experiment because they don't even have their own like sovereign currency. They're using the US dollar. So what they did was they also legalized Bitcoin, not crypto, not Dogecoin or Ethereum or any of this stuff. They legalized Bitcoin as legal tender. And it it means that it's got all the other all the all the same properties of legal tender as the U.S. dollar. Now it's um, accepted for taxes. It's uh, you're you're you you can't refuse Bitcoin payments as a merchant. 
Okay. So you you have to have you have to have a wallet that will process both dollar transactions and Bitcoin transactions, and that's where the Lightning Network comes in. So there's companies that have built like software to help onboard all these tens of thousands of uh, businesses in El Salvador and all these merchants to accept Bitcoin from anybody that wants to pay with Bitcoin. So you you know it's just like the dollar. It's not it's not recognized as a a taxable uh investment now because it's money so like you, you know you don't in el salvador if you keep your bitcoin and it goes up in value you don't pay taxes on it anymore i'm pretty sure that's one of the rules that yeah are, no, that's no in this bill tax on it yeah right because it's, it's money now and now there's people arguing that like because a sovereign nation has adopted bitcoin as currency then like they're gonna have to recognize bitcoin as a foreign currency <laughs> like it opens up all these like kind of interesting uh legal things for interpretation like oh well do i have to pay taxes on my legal foreign currency people are kind of going there but i'm like you're gonna have to pay your own taxes if you live in a country where where it, it values bitcoin as a as a investment you're, you're gonna have to pay your taxes just because el salvador has no taxes on bitcoin doesn't mean canada or the uk or the us or whatever We'll say, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good rule. Let's do that, too. You don't have to pay your taxes anymore. It's going to be a little while before Bitcoin or anything else is accepted or uh, has better tax rules, I'm pretty sure, over here anyways. But mm. the the critics of this will say, like, oh, it's so it's not voluntary. You have to accept Bitcoin. This is this is a, like a dictator accept, forcing people to accept Bitcoin. It's not it's not good yeah. for human rights. They'll mm. they'll go down that path. But they were clear that they're not forcing anybody to hold Bitcoin. They're actually putting $100 million in a, in a fund that will allow anybody that wants to convert out of Bitcoin once they accept the payment to do it. And they're gonna, and the, the country's going to actually like facilitate that, that trade of, of uh, Bitcoin for dollars for any merchant. So if, you, if you're a merchant in El Salvador and for whatever reason you don't want to keep Bitcoin – then once you receive the payment, you can just basically have a switch toggle that says move it to dollars. So it's not there's no human rights issues here. This is just like officially legal tender. Yeah, you can't refuse payment in it. That's the same as anywhere. Like you can't you can't refuse payment in dollars in the USA. If somebody tries to pay you with dollars, you can't say, sorry, I, I only accept chickens. You have to accept dollars. <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah. Um is that is that like when the when people are say for example like you go into a a shop are they displaying the price of things in bitcoin or do you think they will or will they display it in dollars and then you will pay at the point of sale at the bitcoin cost at that moment uh yeah so uh, the way it works right now with with current merchant point of sale terminals and stuff like that is that it's priced in dollars for most um most uses and that's because there's there's a there's a unit bias thing in economics which is pretty common and um people don't want to think in small numbers so and they and there's also i forget the name of the term but there's a there's a term for displaying prices in a volatile currency where people it's it's like it's too confusing for the business owner and this was more relevant for hyperinflating economies when, 
you know, you go in the restaurant and like an hour later, the sandwich is double the price because <laughs> the currency's so volatile. Yeah. And they'd have to actually go and they would spend more. They'd have full time employees at stores changing prices. That's all they would do is just go around the store the entire day changing prices, updating it because the currency was so volatile. So that I forget the the name of that term, but that was a real thing in lots of different countries. Mm. So th that's why something like a dollar, which is relatively stable, is a better unit of account because you can price a thing and then maybe once a month you change your prices rather than once an hour or once a week or whatever. But with technology, it, it in an internet world where everything's going digital, that becomes actually less of an issue because the algorithm can update the prices based on the exchange rate. Mm. So that that concept can work even with a volatile currency in a modern world with like electronic displays and buying things online and stuff like that as the price it can be priced in satoshis which helps with unit bias or bits which is like the fractions of bitcoin so rather than saying oh well i'm going to buy this uh this avocado for 0.000137 bitcoin I'm, that's a lot i mean there's more zeros right but you get the <laughs> <Yeah>. point <laughs> you can say i'm going to buy this avocado for uh, a thousand sats mm. and using satoshis Mm. is kind of where we're shifting to. And as Bitcoin continues to go up in price, I'd say at about a million dollars of Bitcoin, that's the point where we will be able to have more things priced in Satoshis because it'll. I, I imagine that like as Bitcoin gets up there, say I think even like 500,000, maybe 250,000 to $500,000 per Bitcoin, that's the point where it should be as stable as gold. Because gold is pretty volatile, but not nearly as much as Bitcoin. And that's because it's a 10 trillion market cap. Mm. So as Bitcoin becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, like a 10x from here, then it will be more stable, hopefully, and it'll be easier to use it as a unit of account. But for now, the number one use case is store of value. And then as Bitcoin sucks in all this wealth from all this excessive speculation in the stock market and the housing market and like the bond market, which is now paying negative interest rates as investors start to get smarter about what they're buying. And they start to realize that this is all manipulated by the central banks. They'll be continue to sell their assets to Bitcoin, which will continue to rise the price of Bitcoin as more and more people store their value in Bitcoin. And eventually there's going to be so much value stored in Bitcoin that it's not going to be as speculative and it won't be like, Oh, Elon Musk tweeted something, so the price is going to drop. It, we, we'll get out of that phase eventually. And once we get there, then yes, you'll be able to price things in the Satoshi unit or the Bit unit or whatever. You'll price things in Bitcoin. And then you can have the choice to think in dollars or Bitcoins. But for now, obviously, we live in a dollarized world. So I think they're going to continue to display prices in dollars and then it'll just convert it on the fly. Because this is pretty volatile right now to, to start thinking in Satoshis as the price is still fluctuating a lot. Yeah, a, a Satoshi is a, a million, a Bitcoin is a, a million Satoshis, right? Uh, a million bits and a hundred million Satoshis. Okay, right, okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, so right. so at a, at a million bucks of Bitcoin, that's one bit is a dollar and one Satoshi is a penny. Okay, oh, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, I'll be happy um, with that. Yeah, nice round number. Uh, <laughs> it's good. And a Doge, and a, <laughs> and a Doge coin will be one penny again. <laughs> oh, maybe. Although if the dollar has become completely worthless at that point, 
maybe a Dogecoin will eventually be worth the hundred dollars yeah. that they claim. <laughs> yeah, maybe those maybe those TikTok people are right. If, if at that point, if the dollar hyperinflates, but I actually do think I'm th- I actually do think that without hyperinflation, Bitcoin could get to a million dollars because that's yeah. only a twenty trillion market cap, yeah. and the twenty like a twenty trillion market cap is about nearly double the size of gold's market cap. So the dollar can still That's not inconceivable really, is it? Yeah, it's it's not it's not inconceivable. I mean, if if it hyperinflates, we could see a 100 million dollar bitcoin, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if the prices hyperinflate, then Bit- I'm yeah, so I'm talking about like a million dollars in like around today's purchasing power value of bitcoin. Yeah. I think is I think is plausible. Yeah. Um okay, so well to to finish up so I don't take too much more of your time, uh Brad, um you you've been tweeting a little bit and you've got on your on your Twitter profile talking about um Ross Ulbricht and I saw he was trying to communicate with people at the Bitcoin conference and then got ended up he's in prison and um got put in like solitary confinement for talking to the people at the Bitcoin conference in in Miami, which was crazy but do you want to give people uh yeah. tell people who, who ross Ulbricht is and, and and why he's in prison and why you don't think he should be in prison yeah i mean i i really think that i i really think that the the drug war is the root of a lot of problems in the united states and it's a lot of uh root of a lot of racism as well and it's a systemic problem that it's still showing up today like there's i think there's this documentary 13th on Netflix. Everybody should watch it. It's a really easy introduction to the crazy private prison system in the USA. That's basically like modern day slavery still. And it's, it's like it, the system preys on young black men, basically most like um, it's, it's statistically significantly more minorities that get preyed on with these nonviolent drug um, charges yeah and the bail system is so high it's like average of like ten thousand dollars that people can't afford bail so they end up getting sent to jail not even convicted of a crime and it's a nonviolent drug crime and it just creates a systemic cycle of of like inequality and i think the u.s has something like five percent of the world's population but 25 percent of the prisoners in the world and there's a it's a private system so people these 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 minorities get uh, like preyed on basically by these racist drug laws and they end up getting sent to jail and they they work for pennies on the dollar modern day slavery basically and then when they get released finally they can't vote they've lost their yeah. their right to vote so this pretty much is like a, an unfair system of systemic racism that is legit and hundreds of thousands of people are are in prison for for crimes that sometimes they didn't even commit because they can't even they weren't even charged with it because they they just took the plea bargain because they're they're like given an option of go to jail for 10 years or go to jail for two years if you accept the plea bargain kind of a thing it's disgusting and then you know the the drug laws the drug war was the reason why Ross Albrecht ended up in prison, because in 2011 or so, when Bitcoin was first kind of be, being uh, popular, popularized, it, one of the reasons why it was getting popular was because of the Silk Road, which was this um, dark web marketplace to be able to buy and sell anything. And he built it. It was an open source thing that used Bitcoin as a payment method, and, and it was allowing people to buy and sell drugs or anything really, but it got popularized for drugs 
And a lot of the politicians, uh, Chuck Schumer, I think was one of the big ones back then, were were like trying to clout chase and saber rattle about how Bitcoin was was uh, this evil currency. And, you know, this was before states started to legalize marijuana and stuff. And it was it was a time when thankfully no one ever buys drugs with dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would suck. I mean, the argument, I, I never went to Silk Road. I never touched Silk Road. I grew up Mormon, so I was, like, kind of against even drinking coffee for a lot, large part of my life. I was kind of manipulated to think weirdly about uh, chemicals. But I eventually got out of that. But at the point time, I was, like, kind of exploring libertarianism, and which is the concept of you should be able to do whatever you want with your body as long as you're not hurting somebody. And... Or with anything, you know, like do whatever you want. And and the libertarian argument for the Silk Road was that actually it was net positive for society because it allowed people who had this this need to have marijuana or whatever to be able to buy it in a way that didn't expose them to any violence because they could just go online, look at the rating system, see who's got a, a safe product, buy it, get it delivered to the house of the mail, and like, boom, there's no risk of them having it cut with anything like toxic there's no risk of any violence or getting robbed it, it actually was a really good system and it's more like the system in portugal which which actually has decriminalized everything and they treat the prisoners like people and they give them counseling and they help them get back out and like get their lives back and it's actually reduced drug crimes and reduced violence and stuff but the way that we went for it in the u.s at least well i'm canadian but you know it, it affects us all is is like you know send everybody to jail and make an example out of people so they looked at ross albrecht they tried to shut bitcoin down and they quickly realized that they can't stop bitcoin is decentralized so the next best thing for them to get elected and get the headlines was to, to find the the silk road founder throw him in jail throw the book at him make an example out of him and then also arrest some other people who were involved in bitcoin businesses and that's what like Charlie Schramm got um, thrown in jail as well for processing transactions for people who were were uh, on the Silk Road. So so basically he didn't do enough KYC didn't do enough um, checks and stuff. And anyways, Ross Ulbricht has has been in jail for like almost 10 years now. And all he didn't do anything violent. He, did, he was a nonviolent coder and. He got the book thrown at him, double life sentence, plus 20 or 40 years or some crazy thing like that. And all he did was write code and he did it for like to try to use Bitcoin and, and help Bitcoin and promote freedom. And whether wherever you stand on that, he was demonized. They they tried to make it out to look like he was psychotic and that he he put out hits on people. They created this whole fictional thing about him putting a hit on somebody Um because he had some Bitcoin stolen, they painted him in the book American Kingpin as like a psycho. They the the there was a document or a, a movie that came out recently that totally did character assassination on him. And the the craziest thing is that there was a real conspiracy that came out that the two FBI agents that were on the case they actually infiltrated a whole bunch of accounts. Um, they 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 flipped some of the admins of the silk road took over their accounts they stole the bitcoin they tried to launder it 
through Mt. Gox. So there's emails that have been leaked or not leaked, but no used way. in that, in the hearings that that he was talking to Mark. They were talking to Mark Capellas trying to get the Bitcoin to dollars through Mt. Gox, which was the big exchange that got hacked and went down. And these two FBI agents faked the hit. So they stole the money. Then they posted this this fake hit on the people who stole the money which was the someone that they had flipped already and was in custody then they faked the death and and like posted the fake killing you know like it was nuts like they, they stole the bitcoin they faked the death and then they used this to make the public turn against ross albrecht as if he was some kind of psycho that put a hit on somebody for stolen bitcoin and all they weren't allowed to use this evidence in his court case because they were really trying to just throw the book at him and they, these FBI agents had gotten caught and they were going through a trial as well at the same time. And these guys ended up going to jail for the crime they committed and stealing the money and, and doing all that stuff. But they so they they eventually dropped the, the, the murder for hire charges on Ross. But yet this story is still pushed. And it's a shame because the guy's the guy's a nonviolent, like nice kid. He he's learned his lesson. He's definitely not going to do anything like that again. And he should be out like he should be free his mom has been working hard to try to raise awareness about this for years his his clemency campaign on petition or change.org is like one of the most signed petitions with over like 400,000 people signing it i think it's like there's just a pr issue there because people still think that he might have put a hit out on people even when it was like when you look into it it's clearly it wasn't him he he didn't do that he was nonviolent he was just a kid that wrote some code and even the the like even the more unfair thing is that Silk Road didn't stop and Bitcoin didn't stop. And there there was like Silk Road two and three and four. I think they're up to like eight now. And whenever they've convicted another founder of the next Silk Road, they give them like five years or eight years or something like that. And some of them they don't even go to jail. So it's mm. it's super unfair the way that he got the book thrown at, at him and like he should be out like the, and the only chance he has right now to get out is a presidential pardon. So it's like, what can we do? It's just really heartbreaking, really. To, like sucks. I, the, the only thing I guess I, I, I try to do is just get that story out to more people so that they know like he's not he's not this psycho um, that put a hit on somebody. He just was a kid who made a mistake and he was nonviolent and he got caught up in the drug laws. And it's not just him. There's hundreds of thousands of nonviolent drug criminals, mostly black and brown kids that are in this vicious cycle. And, you know, the, the drug laws are the problem here with a lot of things. It's the central banks and the drug laws keeping this system of, of making the rich richer and the poor poorer, increasing the wealth gap. And Bitcoin is a great solution for this, but we also have to hold like accountability to to the politicians that aren't changing this like this this is 2021 like this shit needs to change people shouldn't be in jail for smoking marijuana or selling marijuana like it, they, everything should be legal they should be able to do it yeah yeah i mean the thing that really gets me honestly about this is that in i believe it's washington state they're offering free joints to people who get the vaccine. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. Nuts. I don't know. I thought a few, like yeah, but like that's like right. I no, mean, it's it's, it's fine, right? Like, that, but the fact that it's legal yeah. in that state to do that, and there's people in life 
imprisonment for possession of the same substance that they are giving away for free to, to like it, it stuns yeah, it's me crazy. But, um, anyway brad i i have got a run um in a few minutes so i i think we can we can wrap things up here that would this has uh, been a fantastic chat i have learned so much about about cryptocurrency about bitcoin about the lightning network about about so many things so so like thank you so much for your time and and your uh yeah your fantastic knowledge and and yeah it's been it's been great man. well thanks very much and i look forward to your book uh send me a send me a tweet or whatever when you put up your crowdfunding campaign i'll i'll send you some send you some money and can't wait to read it yeah that sounds awesome well, maybe we should have an option to 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 give us bitcoin on yeah. the lightning network or oh, i have to yeah to support with sats you actually actually you can do it on tally coin okay i'll check that out yeah I got you can do a little fundraising campaign on tally coin that's a cool idea i like that but yes um if you yeah so um the yeah thanks very much man it's been yeah a pleasure thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast don't forget our sponsor expressvpn and my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, can both be found in the links in the description below. And also, please like, share and subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Until next time, thanks for listening.